I don't notice off the top of my head any guests tonight. If you are a guest, we are glad to have you. If, amen. And if you're not a guest, we're glad to have you too. Amen. Praise God. If you're watching us online, we welcome you as a part of this service tonight as well. Pray that you're blessed by it in Jesus' name. Praise God. Job chapter 42. Everybody expect that? I do believe that tonight is the last night I will be on this line of scriptures. I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you, if you have missed any of the last several weeks that I have taught, there's been a couple weeks I've missed, or we had Dr. Blash, but if you've missed any, any nights that I've taught the last several weeks from the book of Job, I am asking you to watch or listen. As I said several weeks ago, when I started all of this, I really felt like it was a clear direction from the Lord, and so... Um, if you've missed some, I'm asking you to, to, to catch up with it. Job 42, verse number 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house and they bemoaned him and comforted him all over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. The Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. The Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and a 1,000 yoke of oxen and a 1,000 she-burden-bearing animals. He had also seven sons and three daughters, which he had seven sons and three daughters, and I'm kind of of the opinion Job's probably thankful that it stayed seven sons and three daughters. I don't know that he would have wanted 20 more. Um, <laughs> and he called the name of the first Jemima, must be where the syrup came from, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapapuk. And in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this lived Job a hundred and forty years, and saw his sons and his sons' sons, and even four generations. So Job died, being old and full of days. Father, thank you for your presence tonight. Thank you for the privilege of being in your presence. Thank you for the ministry of your spirit in this place. I pray God now through your word, speak to our hearts, give us ears 
to hear what you would say, hearts that will receive what you would say to us, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. There are several things I feel led to draw out of these verses tonight. Really the starting point, the primary point is verse 10. The Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I've touched on, communicated several times the last several weeks along these lines, the part of him praying for his friends. But the part I really want to focus on tonight is the Lord turned the captivity of Job. The Lord turned it. It says, and again, one of the other points, and we'll come back to later on this evening, but the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. He blessed the latter end more than his beginning. I believe that the Holy Ghost, hopefully through me, is, would speak to some folks tonight that you do not have much great expectations for your future. You're quiet, that means you're listening. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> because of the past. Whether that's because of your failures and mistakes in the past, and so therefore your expectation for the future is such that you just don't expect it to be very good, or perhaps it's because of circumstances and situations you've encountered in the past that now your expectations of the future are based on that. One of the, one of the statements that I, that I, uh, that has stuck out in my mind for years that I consider to be one of the most powerful statements I've ever heard outside of scripture. It was in some kind of a book I was reading in a, I think it was a finance class at, uh, at University of Maryland. And the statement in the book, it was, it was dealing in the area of sales. But the statement in the book was this, your future is not merely an extension of your past. Too many times we get in a rut of expecting our future to be more of the same. Our past patterns, our past experiences, the things that have happened in our lives... We expect tomorrow just to be a repeat of yesterday. We get into a place in our ministries where our expectation of tomorrow, our fruitfulness of tomorrow is based on past. What is that statement? Something along these lines you'll hear when, when they're, especially when it's some kind of financial advertisement that uh, 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 past performance is not guarantee or whatever of future. I wish we could believe that. I wish we could believe that. 
that past negatives are not the guarantee of future negatives. Job, Job, I, I, I tried to research it to, to get an answer. I couldn't find it. The, the, the only thing we know is that Job lived a hundred and forty years after his trial. I don't know about you, but most of the time when I think of Job, I think subconsciously I think of him as a whole life of trouble. He had a bad day, a really bad day, and then a couple of days of dealing with some sickness. That portion, or, or that time of his trial was an extremely short portion of his life. However old he was, I, I, I read one, one thing today that said that based on the fact God doubled everything Job had lost, that Job could have perhaps been around 140 years old. Old enough to have 10 kids, so he was at least 20 years old. <laughs> but the latter end, the, the God blessed, what does it say? The Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. This isn't even where I think I'm going, but somebody tonight has got to get this. Can I be so bold as to say I'm prophesying to somebody right now that your latter end is going to be greater than your beginning. What God has in store for you in the end is better than what it was in the beginning. I am quite sure that Job probably looked at his future at some points during his trial and did not have much expectation for the future. But we see that God blessed him in a way that was beyond reason and expectation. The Lord turned the captivity of Job. Read to you for a for a little bit here, if you would permit me to, the biblical illustrator says this, Since God is immutable, He acts always upon the same principles. And hence, His course of action in the olden times to a man of a certain sort will be a guide as to what others may expect who are all of like character. God does not act by caprice nor by fits and starts. God doesn't act one way one time and another way another time. We are not all like Job, but we all have Job's God. Though we have neither risen to Job's wealth, nor will probably ever sink to Job's poverty, yet there is the same God above us if we be high, and the same God with everlasting arms beneath us if we be brought low. And what will, and what the Lord did for Job, He will do for us. Not precisely 
not precisely in the same form, but in the same spirit and with like design. If therefore we are brought low tonight, let us be encouraged with the thought that God will turn again our captivity and let us entertain the hope that after the time of trial shall be over, we shall be richer, especially in spiritual things, than ever we were before. Hmm. God can turn your captivity. God can turn your captivity. And turn it at once. Not only can he turn it, but he can turn it. Some of God's children seem to think that to recover their former joy must occupy a long period of time. It is true that if you had to work your passage back to where you came from, it would be a weary voyage. The Lord can turn the captivity of His people. The Lord can turn the captivity of His people. I, 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 I'm not going to do it. I, I, was, I, was, I was contemplating putting Brother Isaac Middleton on the spot here tonight, but I, will, I won't do that. I had the chance to spend a few minutes with him on Tuesday evening, and he shared with me some things that God has done in he and Sister Lacey's life in the past couple of months. How that things have drastically changed and turned. For the better. Things that he said to me, he never thought, or, 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 this, this is, this, this is an exact quote, but things that, that he kind of lost hope for, for the future. That all of a sudden, it does not take God as long to get you out of it as it took to get you in it. You see, too often our problem is we think about how long we've been in the trial. And our natural thought is, if if I've been in it this long, it's going to take me that long to get out. It took them 40 years wandering in the wilderness, but it only took a couple of days to conquer the first city. If you, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it tonight before this is over, but if you will do what God asks or God requires, it's not hard for God to turn your captivity. Brother Wright, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know what I've been in. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how bad my finances are. You, you don't know how hopeless my future looks. No, I may not, but I do know a God. I know a God that has the power and the ability to turn your captivity. Oh, hallelujah. You may apply the truth to a thousand different things. You Sunday school teachers, if you had a captivity in your class and no good has been done, God can change that. 
You ministers, if for a long time you have plowed and sowed in vain, the Lord can turn your captivity there. You wives who have been praying for your husbands, you fathers who have been pleading for your children and have seen no blessing yet, the Lord can turn your captivity in those respects. I won't put Sister Barr on the spot tonight either. If Brother Barr was here, I would put him on the spot. But I'm a wise man. I, I want him to... I don't want to ruin it, but I just... It's too good to pass up in this moment. Two weeks ago, I believe it was, Sunday morning, Brother and Sister Barr's daughter-in-law... Receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This past Sunday morning, Brother and Sister Barr went down to Brother Staten's church to see her baptized. And in the course of that, their son who has been backslidden, who had been baptized at a young age, got rebaptized. Brother Bart told me, communicated to me, I believe, if I remember correctly, he said this was an 11-year-old promise that he has been hanging on to. God can turn your captivity. God can turn your captivity. God can turn your captivity. God has the ability to reach down and cause something to change that appears that it's never going to change. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm not trying to preach here tonight, but there's just a little preach here at least for a moment. In Job's case, the Lord turned his captivity when he prayed for his friends. Prayer for ourselves is blessed work, but for the child of God, it is a higher exercise to become an intercessor and to pray for others. Prayer for ourselves, good as it is, has just a touch of selfishness about it. We're dealing with some personal stuff right now, some things we're working on, and I, I'm, I'm, listen, God, I, I know. I know that you know what we need, but at least let me give you my opinion. It would really be nice if you would do such and such this way. I mean, if you're really trying to work something out in me, use something else, but this thing, God, Prayer for ourselves, good as it is, has a touch of selfishness about it. But prayer for others is delivered from that ingredient. And especially what we're going to touch on here in a few moments. I've touched, I've communicated, I've taught it the last couple of weeks in these, along these lines. God says to, to, uh, how can I forget his name? What, uh, Elihu, or I'm Eliphaz. He says to Eliphaz, you go get Job to pray for you. And when Job prays for you, I'm, then I'm going to help you. And so here these three guys go. 
that from what we know of them in Scripture, they haven't been through what Job has been through. They haven't suffered like Job has suffered. And yet, Job's, uh, those three guys, their, their, their victory, their forgiveness was based on Job's prayer. And Job's turning of his captivity was based on him praying for somebody that seemed to have everything okay. But when he prayed for them, God turned his captivity. Adam Clark says this, The word of the Lord turned the captivity of Job. There is a remark which these words suggest, which has been rarely, if at all, noticed. It is that the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. He had suffered much through the unkindness of these friends. They had criticized his conduct without feeling or mercy, and he had ju- and he had just cause to be irritated against them, and that he had such a feeling toward them several parts of his discourses sufficiently prove. God was now about to show Job his mercy, but mercy can be shown only to the merciful. See, we want God to restore us, but we still want Him to give paybacks to those who have hurt us. And until you can start praying for them for their salvation rather than for their repayment of what they did to you, you're going to remain captive. Several Uh, God was now about to show Job his mercy, but mercy can only be shown to the merciful. Job must forgive his unfeeling friends if he would be forgiven by the Lord. He directs him, therefore, to pray for them. He who can pray for another cannot entertain enmity against him. It's hard for you to pray for somebody and curse them at the same time. Job did so, and when he prayed for his friends, God turned the captivity of Job, forgive, and you shall be forgiven. To me, the implication is, if Job had not have prayed for his friends, his friends would have remained in trouble, and Job would have remained in captivity. I wonder how many times we choke off God's blessings in our lives. Because we want it our way. God is not the king of Burger King. You don't get it your way with God. You got to do it His way. I, I know I've said it numerous times now. I'm going to say it again. The, the, I, I just read it. I think it was in the first, the biblical illustrator. There is, there is no, there is no argument. No one, no one is arguing that Job's friends did not mistreat him. No one is arguing that, that their, their suffering was way less than his. And yet God says, 
to his friends, you got to go ask Job to pray for you. And I'll forgive you when he prays for you, but I'm also going to do something for him when he prays for you. Genesis Genesis 20. I, I came across something. It's one of those things. Many of you have experienced, you, you, you've read it before, but you didn't really notice it. In, in Genesis 20, first part of Genesis chapter 20 tells the story of Abraham. He's traveling in the land of Gerar, and he encounters the king Abimelech. And out of fear that Abimelech would kill him, because Sarah was so attractive. They agreed to lie. And so Abimelech is going to take Sarah for himself. And God gives him a dream and scares him to death. And he comes back to Abraham and says, what have you done? And so Abraham then explains, I was scared. Because I was scared, I, I, I lied. God had mercy on Abimelech because he knew Abimelech was acting out of ignorance. And once he knew the whole story, he stopped, changed his plans. And here's something I, 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 I know I've read it, but I've never noticed it before. Chap, chapter 20, verse number 15. Genesis 20 and 15, and Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee, dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus he was reproved. Now, Abraham has a promise that he's going to be the father of many. At this point, Sarah is still barren. She has not had Isaac yet. Now watch what happens in verse number 17. So Abraham prayed unto God... And God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children, for the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Abraham prays for God to do something for Abimelech and his house that has not yet happened for him. We are almost, and I'll show you just in a, sec in a second, if you don't believe it, I think I'll make it pretty obvious. We are almost 25 years in or from the time God had given Abraham the promise. It's almost been 25 years 
since the giving of that promise, it would be kind of normal, it would seem reasonable, if Abraham would have looked at Abimelech, who first off, he was afraid of what the man was going to do to him. If Abraham would have simply looked at him and said, huh, you think I'm going to pray for you to have kids when I don't even have my own? You, you think I'm going to pray for God to bless my brother with a new job when I don't even have one? You think I'm going to bless, ask God to bless brother and Sister Sheila walked her with a brand new car when mine won't even hardly start. You, you, you think I'm going to pray for God to save your kids when mine are still backslid? I, wanna, I don't want to see yours come walking through when mine are still out there. I pray for God to heal you when I'm still sick. Mm. I pray for God to take your pain away when I've been praying for mine and it won't go nowhere. I'm going to pray for the Latino congregation to be blessed and prosperous and grow when we keep seem like losing people. With a barren wife, Abraham prayed for what was essentially an enemy. And because of Abraham's prayer, God gave Abimelech and his house children. Now go to 21 and 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. 20 and 18, God opens Abimelech's family up to prosperity 21 and 1, Sarah gets visited. I wonder if some of your, your visitation is one prayer away for somebody else that doesn't deserve it or that's got, you're praying for them what you want, but God's waiting for you to pray for them and then He's gonna visit you. They prayed, and God visited. Go back to that last, one of those last statements in the biblical illustrated prayer for ourselves, as good as it is, has a touch of selflessness about it, selfishness about it. There's not a person in this place tonight that doesn't have some kind of need in your life. There's not an individual in this place tonight that doesn't have some kind of need. We can put our needs on a scale of one to ten as far as who's got the worst and who's got it worse and who's are the, who's, who's got the, the, the worst situation, who's got the, who's been treated worse, who's been, uh, we, we can do that and we do that. We look at what somebody else is going through and because it seems to be less significant than what we've gone through, we don't have the compassion we should have a lot of times.
easy. God, I got this need. I got that need. I need you to do this. I need you to take care of that. I need you to save my kids. I need you to bless my family. It's another thing when I pray for somebody else. It's another thing when, when the very need that I have, I pray for somebody else with the same need and forget about mine and focus on theirs. And the Lord visited Sarah. And the Lord visited Sarah. I don't know how long it was between the prayer for Abimelech and his household and Sarah realizing she was pregnant. I'm not sure. It was probably at least a day or two. <laughs> there was probably at least enough time to set in. I mean, it, it said in, it said in verse 18, the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. But it said in verse 17, and they bare, they prayed and they bare children. I don't know what the time frame was. I, I would say that based on these two verses, there was enough time in between that and chapter 21 and verse 1, there was enough time for a little bit of bitterness to settle in. They've all got their baby. She's now holding her child and I've still Got a barren womb. But she prayed, they prayed for Abimelech and his household. And then Sarah is visited and Isaac is born. Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, verse number 8. Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them. And they lifted up their voice and wept, and they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons. Will you tarry for them till they were grown? Will you stay for them from, would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the Lord's, that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. At this point in time, Naomi's focus is herself. I'm going back to Bethlehem. My son, my husband has died. My sons have died. I'm going home. I can't have any more kids. If I had more kids, by the time they're old enough to marry, you're not going to wait around for them, so you might as well stay here. She goes back to Bethlehem, although, as you know the story, 
Now, or Ruth insists on going with her. But she comes back to Bethlehem. And she says this when they began to greet her. She says, don't call me Naomi. The word, or the name Naomi means my delight. She said, call me not Naomi, but call me Mara. For God has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full and I've come back empty. I went out full and I've come back empty. I have lost everything that symbolized my good life. I've lost everything that I, that I valued. God has dealt bitterly with me. And it seems as though her focus is ultimately on herself. Yes, she was kind enough to say to Orpah and to Ruth, you can stay here because where I'm going is not where you're from. But ultimately, she was just thinking about herself. What was best for her? How how could she best live out the remainder of her days in misery? Because God has dealt bitterly with me. I find it interesting, I understand, please know that I know, that chapters and verses were not in the original. I realize that chapters and verses were given for our benefit for reference. Okay? So in essence, every book of the Bible, it wasn't broken down the way we break it down. Most of you know that. That being said, there are four chapters in the book of Ruth. The first two chapters essentially are the doom and the gloom. But at the halfway point of Ruth, of the book of Ruth, chapter 3, verse 1, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? Message Bible says, One day her mother-in-law, Naomi, said to Ruth, My dear daughter, isn't it about time I arranged a good home for you so you can have a happy life? Instead of continuing to focus on herself, she decides to change the focus and put it on Ruth. So rather than me trying to figure out how to best take care of me, I think it's time, Ruth, for me to figure out how to take care of you. And the second half of the book of Ruth is much different than the first half. Chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, 
And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, And the women said unto Naomi, Ruth just had a baby. Ruth just gave birth, but the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And she shall be unto thee a restorer, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to who? Oh, hallelujah. Anybody still, I I see some of you on your phones. I don't know if you're taking notes or distracted. I don't know. Anybody still here? Making any sense? Sister Sank, you waved at me, so I'm going to take that as my inspiration to keep going. And, 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 And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name saying, There is a son born to who? Wait a minute, who bore the son? Ruth was the mother. But they said, there's a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse. Who is the father of David. Now these are the generations of Pharez. Pharez begot Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begot Abinadab, and Abinadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David, and keep going down the line, and what ends up happening is Jesus Christ is begotten from the same offspring that was born to Naomi through Ruth. After she decided to put somebody else's life and and well-being ahead of hers. And when she did that, God turned it all around. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm of the opinion that if Ruth, or excuse me, if Naomi had not have gotten to the point to make Ruth the focus, she would have died empty and bitter. But something changed in her. And in spite of the difficulty of her circumstances, instead of, in spite of focusing on the bad lot in life, the bad hand she had been dealt, she started focusing on somebody else. And that released God. That opened up the windows of heaven to pour out a blessing on her. If you read in the book, I believe it's the book of Matthew, if I'm not mistaken, is the one that lists the genealogy of Christ. 
you read that genealogy, you will find, I believe it's four women mentioned in there. Other than that, it's all the male who were a part of the genealogy. One of those four women is Ruth, the Moabite, who would not have been in that genealogy had not Naomi left Bethlehem to go to Moab, lose everything she had, and come back to Bethlehem. Oh, Jesus. Some of you have, like Jacob's father, excuse me, like Joseph's father, have interpreted the evidence and drawn your conclusions And I speak, I preach, I teach, I talk, whatever it is tonight to some folks that you have already passed judgment on your future and it's a bleak future. Because you look at what God has brought you through or you look at where you've been and you've interpreted all to be negative. Not understanding that God allowed some bad things to happen that were all a part of the ultimate positioning of you to, for the ultimate fulfillment of what He had for you. Oh, Lord. It could have been said, Naomi could have said the same thing that Joseph said to his brothers. What was meant for evil, God has intended for good. There are people in this place tonight that there is no argument that you have been through some horrible circumstances and situations. There is no argument that you've been dealt some great blows in life. There's no argument that you've been through some of the most tragic things a human being could go through. But the value of those things comes from not becoming a captive of resentment and bitterness of what you've been through, but letting that go and to begin to realize, in spite of what I've been through and what I've suffered, there's somebody else that has a need, and and that need may not seem to be as great as my need, but I'm going to put my issues and my need aside For you, because if I can do that, I can open up and release God's ability to turn my captivity. If I can figure out how to help Ruth be blessed and Ruth prosper, if I can figure out how to pray for Abimelech for God to bless him, If I can pray for Eliphaz and the other friends of Job who have been not the greatest of friends and the greatest of trials that I've been through, if I can turn and focus on them and pray for them, then I release God to turn my captivity. I believe there's some people in this place tonight that it is God's desire to turn your captivity. And it's not the devil. It's not a spiritual battle that you're waiting on. It's not even God that you're ultimately waiting on. God is waiting on you so that He can turn your captivity. 
last verse. I love this verse. I heard it years ago. I've read it, but I heard it mentioned years ago. I think it was by Brother Bourne, if I'm not mistaken, one of the times he was here. I've preached this verse numerous times in my travels over the last couple of years on Sunday mornings. I've preached it in many congregations. Zechariah 9 and verse 12. Turn you to the stronghold. You prisoners of hope. Even today, I do de- even today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. Let me ask you a question tonight. What are you a prisoner of? Are you a prisoner of unforgiveness? Are you a prisoner of bitterness? Are you a prisoner of fear? Are you a prisoner of hopelessness? What are you a prisoner of? I tell you what, if I'm going to be a prisoner of something, I'd just soon be a prisoner of hope. If I'm going to be held captive by something, I want to, ha- I want to be held captive by my hope. If you're, if you're held captive by something, you want to try to shake it off and get free. But being a captive means you can't get free. Oh God, I wish somehow, y'all don't, I, I know I'm supposed to be praying for you tonight. I'm going to have to skip the message for a moment. I'm just going to be selfish. I wish somehow I could ultimately, finally become a prisoner of hope. Because whatever I'm a prisoner of, it controls me. Whatever I am a prisoner of, that controls me. So if I am a prisoner of hope, whatever's going on around me, I am controlled by hope. I am controlled by the belief that God is in control. And all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. If I am a prisoner of hope, then no matter where I am, I am controlled that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I am controlled by yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because thou art with me. If I'm a prisoner of hope, it doesn't matter what's going on around me with God. All things are possible. If I'm a prisoner of hope, it doesn't matter what depths my backslidden children have sunk to. If I'm a prisoner of hope, it doesn't matter how lost my spouse may be. If I'm a prisoner of hope, it doesn't matter how far gone my parents may be. If I'm a prisoner of hope, it doesn't matter how bad my finances look. If I'm a prisoner of hope, then I am controlled by the fact that my latter end can be greater than the beginning. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. 
In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, I know it's Thursday night. I know we just usually end with a quick little prayer. But I just believe there's something the Holy Ghost wants to do in this place tonight. Just beyond me teaching and dismissing. That somebody needs to make up in your mind tonight. I'm going to start praying for my friends. Even if they're my friends that have hurt me and let me down. Even if they've abused me or mistreated me. I'm going to start looking at others that maybe their problems aren't quite as bad as mine. But if I can focus on them, if I can pray for them, then I can release God to do for me what it is I need. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, I challenge somebody to make the decision that you're going to leave this place tonight and you're going to be a prisoner of hope. I'm going to become a prisoner of hope that no matter what I'm going through, no matter what my circumstances are, I'm controlled by my faith. I'm controlled by my confidence. Paul tells us that hope gives us, that experience gives us hope. And hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Hebrews tells us that hope is an anchor. I'm not talking about wishful thinking. I'm not talking about fantasies. I'm not talking about fleshly dreams. I'm talking about a hope that is inspired by a word from God. A hope that is inspired by a rhema from God. For those of you that, that took one of these tonight, I want to be a prisoner of hope. I want to be a prisoner that when I walk into Arnold on a Sunday morning and the crowd's down, the Word of God says that something great is going to happen from this hill and great things are going to flow out when we come together on a Sunday night as Antioch Central. No matter what the service is like, I want to be a prisoner of hope. In the name of Jesus, come on. Come on, I'm basically done, but I'm not ready to dismiss. Come on, I'm done preaching, I'm done teaching, I'm done doing whatever I'm doing, but God's not done. Come on, it's only 8.35, it's early. By most, by most nights, by most Thursday nights, it's early. Come on, you got a few more moments to let God seal something in your spirit right now. Somebody needs to start praying for your friends. Somebody needs to start praying for those you've been afraid of, like Abraham was afraid of Abimelech. Because in your prayers for somebody else is the release for what you need. Some of you parents that sit here tonight with backslidden children, why don't you start praying for somebody else's child? Some of you husbands or wives that sit here with an unsaved spouse, why don't you start praying for somebody else's for a while? 
Some of you that are struggling with barren ministries tonight, why don't you start praying for somebody else's ministry? Somebody whose finances are struggling tonight, why don't you start praying for somebody else's finances and see that God will turn your captivity. God will turn your captivity. God will turn your captivity. Come on, I know I don't normally do this on a Thursday night, but I, I just think somebody, you might need to go another step tonight and make your way down to this altar as a part of the process of responding to what the Lord is saying tonight. Maybe not everybody, it may not be the majority of you, but I think somebody, I appreciate those that have come already, but I believe there may be some other folks tonight that you need to take this another step, not just sitting where you are and responding, but you need to take a step because that's a step of faith. That's a step of decision. God, if I can get myself in the right position, if I can get myself where I need to be, it's not hard for you to turn my captivity. God, if I can get in the place I need to be, in just a moment you can turn my circumstances around. I pray, God, that you would deliver us tonight from the chains of our past. I pray, God, that you would deliver us tonight from the perceptions in our future that are weighed down by the experiences of our past that just as you did for Job and just as you did for Naomi, you can make our latter end greater than our beginning. Come on, I, I believe I'm speaking to some 50 and better folks tonight. I believe I'm speaking to some 50 and better folks tonight that the enemy has convinced you your greatest days are behind you. Your greatest times of fruitfulness are in your past. But I declare to you tonight in the Holy Ghost that your latter end is going to be greater than the beginning. You might be in a transition period like Job went through. You might be in a transition period like Naomi went through going back from, from Moab to Bethlehem. But if you'll just stay in there, if you'll just begin to look at somebody else and what somebody else needs and release your faith for them, God will open up the windows of heaven for you. You have the power and the ability to turn our captivity. You have the ability, God, in just a moment to turn our captivity. 
We may have been in our trial for a while. We may have been in our trial for days or weeks or months or even years. Some of us may have been going through it even for decades. But you have the ability, God, in a moment to turn our captivity. In the name of Jesus, give us the grace tonight, God, to do what we need to do that will then release you to do what you want to do, God. The name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. tonight and you're willing to acknowledge brother right I may not have said it the same way Naomi has said it I may not have expressed it in the same words but I acknowledge I felt a lot like she felt that God has dealt bitterly with me that I've gone out full and I've come back empty but you're willing to accept what's been preached, taught, whatever here tonight is a word from God. If you're not already in this altar, I'm asking you if that fits you. To get up out of your seat and come down to this altar and to lay your past on the altar. Let go of your past and embrace what God has for your future. Release the cloud, the darkness of your past that hovers over you and accept the word of the Lord for you tonight is you are not Mara. You are not been dealt with bitterly. But it's all a part of God's plan and process of what He's going to do in your life. Come on. I don't know if anybody will come pray for you or not. 
ultimately it's between you and Jesus right now. Thank you for those of you that are coming. I'm asking you to come and just, even if you imagine, even if you go through the motions of imagining yourself laying down that past and then picking up what you've got for my future. Come on, I challenge you right now. I know I said it already, I'm going to say it again. I believe there's a prophetic word for somebody here tonight. Come on, I believe those of you that have walked down to this altar, that this is a prophetic word from you. I know it's been spoken to the whole body here tonight, but I'm asking and challenging you to lay hold of it individually. I'm not going to live out the rest of my days as Mara because God has dealt with me bitterly, but I'm still going to be Ruth and I'm still going to find delight. I'm still going to have days of joy and peace and happiness and there's good things that God has in my future. Yeah. If you're not praying for yourself, if you don't need to pray for yourself, can I get some of you to help in this altar a little bit? Oh, there's a few folks down here that I think they could use somebody joining together with them as they are laying down their past and embracing a future. <laughs>
Come on, I know a little bit about where some of you are. I know a little bit about what some of you've been through. And I'm declaring to you tonight, God can turn your captivity. Come on, I declare if you're under the sound of my voice, then the Holy Ghost is talking to you. Somebody, somebody become a prisoner of hope tonight. Somebody make a decision. I'm going to be a prisoner of hope. I'm not going to be a prisoner of fear anymore. I'm not going to be a prisoner of doubt anymore. I'm not going to be a prisoner of discouragement anymore. But I'm going to be a prisoner of hope. Hope, hope maketh not a shame. Hope maketh not a shame. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Ah, Come on, Job. Come on, Job. I know it's been a great trial. I know it's been great suffering, Job. But it's not over. I know you've been through great tragedy, Job. But it's not over. God is going to turn your captivity. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to be bound by my past, my experience. 
expectations for the future that you have in store for me, God. It's not going to be controlled by my past experiences, but I'm going to trust and believe that you can turn my captivity.